Getting some callback from Radioland out there. How you guys doing? Yeah. Well, good morning. It is a beautiful day. It is a beautiful day. We are going to worship the Lord together. Everyone wants to stand up. This first song, we're going to sing the chorus together. It just says, Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God forever. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God forever.
You all can be seated. Wow, that was loud. Hey, Freshwater, how you guys doing? Good. As I'm talking about Nissan's going over there. Way to go. Hey, um, this morning uh, I have Sarah up here. Everybody say hi to Sarah. Hey, you got horns too. So Sarah's been a part of our church more than three years, something like that. And um, we've just been able to get to know her, her, us, I mean, over these years. And uh, I just, uh, we were talking about what does it look like for her just to come and to share her story, kind of her journey. So I've asked her to do that and just uh, sit back and soak in just uh, the way God redeems. It's a great story. Hi, my name is Sarah Eaton. When asked to write my testimony, I thought it would be easy. I can't even tell you how many times I have tried to write this down. It's easy to put facts, places, and times onto paper. What is not easy to put on paper are moments and life-changing events. First, let me tell you what this testimony is not about. It's not about my childhood. It's not about my parents' divorce. It's not about my father who was in and out of prison during my young adult years. It's not about being diagnosed bipolar. It's not about my husband who couldn't handle my bipolar or the affair he had or our terrible divorce. It's not about the ruling that led me to not be able to see my children for 10 years. It's not about running away to Las Vegas or my stay at a psychiatric hospital for six months. It's not about being homeless on the streets in Vegas. I could keep going on and on and on. What I really want to share is what it is all about. It's about a God who has pursued pursued me for 46 years. He never stopped loving me and he was always there. When I was seven, I walked down the aisle of a small Baptist church. There I asked Jesus to take away my sins. Even at seven, I already knew I was a bad little girl and needed a savior. What happened the next 35 years is what I call the pit. You see, I went to church all those years. I sang on the worship team, attended Bible studies, said some good prayers, taught Sunday school class, memorized a few verses with my children. I knew the songs, when to bow my head and when to say amen. Yet, I never put God first. He was a thing I just did. Friends, family, children, my husband, and money were always more important than God. I was living a lie. That leads me to three years ago, sitting in yet another church, because that's what I did. I was visiting Freshwater for a little while, and I had some questions about the church. I invited Pastor Scott and Jolynn to my apartment. I shared some of my story with them. They were quiet and listened to me for a long time. You see, what I was explaining to them was my pit of darkness that seemed to be everywhere. Pastor Scott gently pointed out my sins. Sins that I had not shared with them also surfaced to my mind. I was feeling overwhelmed. Then Pastor Scott invited me to pray with him. I closed my eyes, and in the midst of the prayer, 
With my eyes closed, I could see Jesus. He had his arms wide open, and he started running toward me. As he got closer, I could see he had on jeans and a white t-shirt. I listened to Pastor Scott, and I really don't know if I prayed what I was asked to pray. I do remember confessing my sins, and I know I prayed something about Jesus being Lord of my life. I didn't want to open my eyes because Jesus was now holding me in his arms. A wave of unconditional love surrounded me. Jesus had just pulled me out of my pit of darkness. He was setting me free from the things that had oppressed me for so many years. As I walked Pastor Scott and Jolin out, they both gave me a hug. I did not share with them what had happened because I had to see if this was real or just another emotional experience. I went back up to my apartment and that's when the miracles started. I cried for hours and thanked God for still wanting me. I made some commitments to God. I made a commitment to put him first above all else in my life. I made a commitment to be in his word every day. As the days went on, I had a hunger to be in the word that I never had before. I started to really pray, believing God could and would answer me. I read books about true believers having impact on our world for Jesus. God started laying people on my heart and mind that also needed pulled out of the pit, family and friends who needed a relationship with him. One of the biggest miracles that occurred this year is that God answered my prayer and the prayers of many. For 10 years, my prayer has been, Lord, please let me see my children again. This prayer had become so repetitive, I didn't know if I really believed God could overcome the situation. So I started to ask family and friends to pray. A beautiful lady prayed a prayer in 2019 at a Bible study here at Freshwater. She prayed boldly and asked boldly that I would have contact with my kids by the end of our study in spring. I was in shock that she had prayed so boldly. I prayed along with her and asked God to hear our prayers. In June of 2019, God had made a way for me to be able to find my children. In October 2019, I made contact with my oldest daughter, and in 2019, November 2019, my daughter wrote me a letter that said, I thought a lot about what to write, and there's so much that needs to be said, but the first thing is that I have forgiven you and would love to reconnect with you. That letter started me dancing and praising Jesus' name, of course, as the tears streamed down my face. I now see my daughter almost every week, and oh yes, my other miracle is a grandson who is two. He fills my days with love. I still have not seen my other daughter and my son yet, but I sure know God's working on it. <laughs> I could write a book of all the miracles <clears throat> that I have seen in the last three years. A job, a car, new apartment, family and friends giving money to help with my move, friendships of true believers, reading through the Bible entirely several times, and the miracle of sharing with another person about Jesus. 
A miracle I've seen is others coming to a real relationship with God. God has given me a strong desire to tell others about this real relationship, not a religion. I don't even have to hunt people down. God just brings them to me. A friend from work came to Alpha with me. She now knows Jesus. Another friend is searching and is so close to understanding. I can't wait for the day she meets my Lord. Just the other day, a lady at work came and asked me why I'm not afraid to die. We are having coffee really soon. My prayer is for people to not live in a pit like I did for so many years, to find the freedom and let God be Lord of their life. This last paragraph has been rewritten hundreds of times, maybe because it is so hard to express in human words what it is to experience Jesus. I hope you will take the time and ask yourself, do I have a relationship with God? The greatest miracle of all is when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. He is my Lord and Savior. I intend to live for him until the day I die and tell as many people as I can about his redeeming love. Know that he wants you. Know that he loves you. Know that he will bring you hope, joy, and peace. To my Lord, may all glory, honor, and praise be given to him. fantastic story of God's redeeming love that we all have available to us through his son Jesus. The psalmist says in Psalm 8, what is mankind that you are mindful of him, human beings that you care for them? And he does. He does enough to step down from the heavens and come to us to redeem us to himself because he is a God that redeems and doesn't replace. John records these words when the spirit showed him what was going on up in the heavens. God said, behold, I am making all things new. He doesn't say I'm making all new things. I'm making all things new. He is a redeeming God. And this next song that we're going to sing, we get to praise him for that. And the chorus of it just simply says, we sing hallelujah, 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 with the heavenly hosts who sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord who was and is and is to come.
worship you, God, because you are holy. Only you could redeem us to yourself. And for that, we worship you. We worship you today. We thank you that your presence is here, that our hearts are open. Good morning, Freshwater. Nice. I see a lot of cars out there today. A little bit hot, huh? Yeah, there you go, horns. I am, uh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> I am thrilled to be up here with you guys with a chance to bring you a message. Um, actually, I'm going to be starting off a new series for us today. So we're going to do a four-week series. Um, today's the first one, and the topic's going to be the priesthood of all believers or the universal priesthood. And that topic, uh, scripturally, it comes out of, you can find it in 1 Peter chapter 2, where it talks about us being a holy priesthood set aside for God and his purposes. Um, and we're going to break that up because we need to spend some time there. We're going to break it up into four weeks. Today, what we're going to do is I get the, uh, the privilege to build a foundation with you. Okay, so we're going to set, lay some groundwork, build a foundation on this. And then the next couple weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what our role is as part of the priesthood, and then how do we equip each other and empower us to enact that role and do it well. So that's what we're going to do. Now today, uh, as part of building a foundation, um, this, I would say, is going to be one of the more challenging messages in this series. Uh, it's challenging because we have foundations built up. And what I mean by that is your foundation... I'm going to fall with this mic. Your foundation <laughs> is the beliefs and the truths that you have and stand on. You want me to go to the other mic? So that's what your foundation is. It's those truths and beliefs that you hold and you build your faith on. And what we're going to do today is we're going to test that foundation a little bit. We're going to ask you some questions that test that foundation Right? Maybe shakes it a little bit. Maybe it'll crumble a little bit. We'll see how it goes. So um, it, it's pretty hot out here right now, and it may get a lot hotter when we start asking questions. Um, <laughs> but what we're going to do is we're going to test that by looking at terms and vocabulary. And we can't just jump into a message about the priesthood or about priests because of that term itself. You see, depending on who you are, what your background is, where you come from, maybe what churches you've been to before, if you hear priest or priesthood, it comes with a lot of maybe back baggage or background knowledge. And uh, let me give you an example of what I mean by that. For a lot of us out there, if we hear we're going to do a message on the priesthood or you hear the term priest, you may come back to or think about the Old Testament, the priesthood that was set up there, the Levitical priesthood, the people that were set apart by God to uh, interact with God on behalf of God's people. That might be your view of priest or priesthood. For others of us out there, maybe because of a church or a religion you're familiar with or have been to before, you may hear priest or priesthood and you think to that authority figure that was in the church, like, like the Roman Catholic Church who still has a priesthood today. 
And so when you hear priest, that's the picture that comes to mind. That's what priesthood looks like. And then I think there's a third group of us out there. Maybe it's new believers. Maybe it's people who have not uh, believed in Jesus Christ yet. You're just checking this out. Maybe it's seasoned believers. But when you hear priest or priesthood, it's kind of just the same term for any other authority figure in the church, right? Depending on what religion you go to, what denomination or church you go to, there's priest, there's pastor, there's bishop, there's minister, there's elder, there's deacon. And you hear priest and you think, well, it's just kind of the same thing, right? It's all just whoever the, the head honcho is, right? It's Scott Brooks is the priest of Freshwater Church. That's kind of, that's how you see this thing. Don't shake your head. Um, so maybe that's your, your, your view of priesthood. And if you look at it, those are three very different, very distinct views of what priest or priesthood is. And it just goes to show you how important words are. Because how you define a word or a term or a concept actually defines you. I don't know if you've thought about that, but the way you use words, define words, how they play out in your life, defines you and how you use them and how people see you with them. And the other thing about words is they have a tendency to change. They have a tendency to change meaning over time with different cultures, with different people, if the word's used in different places and situations. And so it becomes really important to know what you're talking about when you use that. So we're going we're gonna to do an example here, okay? So we're going to start off with this word friend, okay? So this is an exercise I want everybody to do. I'm going to ask you a question, right, and start thinking about it. Don't blur anything out. The question is, how many friends do you have? How many friends do you have? All right, now here's what I want to do. This is interactive. I want you to either honk your horn or raise your hand, and please be honest with me. If even a piece of your thought process, the piece of the picture, when I asked how many friends you had, part of it was how many people are in your social media account. I got one, one. That's the only person that's looking at friends, right? That's it, or we're just all too bashful, right? Yeah, in today's culture, we've transformed this word of friend, right, to mean something different, modern, new. If you look at the dictionary, if you look at how the dictionary has friend or the traditional definition of friendship, a friend is somebody that you're actually attached to. You're attached to that friend right? And you're attached to them by, by many different things, right? You're attached to them by your, how you feel about them. You're attached to them by that connection you have to them, by esteem. There's a deep attachment to somebody you call friend. But in our modern context, right, we use friend all kinds of ways. We use friend for the people that are in our social circle. We use friend for those people that we add to our contact list, if we're on, you know, pick your social media site, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, the friends are those people you want to keep tabs on. You just want to know where they're at. Or maybe you just don't want to miss something they do that's interesting, and that's friend. And it's even gone so far as to, if you want to add somebody as a friend or remove somebody as a friend, well, that attachment's just a click away. That attachment from somebody being your friend or not being your friend is just tapping your phone. That's a lot different than that traditional definition of friendship, where you're attached to somebody.
because of esteem, because of a deep personal connection. All right. So this is going to be a, a fun, challenging message where we challenge our foundation, right? So you guys ready? Okay, here you go. Which definition of friendship do you have with Jesus? Okay? What type of friend is Jesus to you? Is Jesus the type of friend that you are attached to because of that deep, intimate friendship that you have with him? You're attached to him because of that intimacy, that esteem that you have for him. That's why you're a friend. Or is Jesus the kind of friend to you where you just keep tabs on him and you only remember he's there when he does something interesting enough to hit your timeline? You only remember that Jesus is your friend when he posts something interesting enough for you to pay attention to. Which kind of friend is Jesus to you? How's your foundation? See some of these out there. No? We're good? All right, so let's try this. Let's go a little deeper, right? Everybody's sitting here going, man, it was hot. I didn't think we were going to do this Sunday. Okay, let's go a little deeper. All right, I'm going to give you another word, and everybody can do this. Kids, adults, grandparents, friends, people visiting here, the first, people in the cars, everybody can do this, okay? What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to give you a word, and I want you to keep your eyes closed and just start building a picture. Build a picture of what that word is, what it means, how you define it, right? What it looks like, feels like. That's what we're going to do for the word, okay? Everybody ready? All right, let's close our eyes. Here's your word. Sideburns. No, that's not it. Okay, we're not doing sideburns. Okay, no, let's do this. Close your eyes, right? Start picturing it. The word is church. Keep your eyes closed. How do you see church? What does it look like? Do you see yourself there? What does it sound like? When I say church, what does it feel like? Who's there? Where is it happening? Where are you? Are you building a picture? All right, let's open our eyes. Okay. Now, when I said church, how many of us, don't raise your hands. I don't want to see hands this time. When I say church, how many of us pictured that building right over there? Even part of that picture was at that building. How many of us, when I said church, pictured this, what's happening right here? When I said church, how many of us pictured what it's like to worship in the sanctuary on Sunday morning? When I said church, how many of you could feel the songs happening? How many of you could feel the lights going down? When I said church, how many of you maybe thought about what you do on Sunday morning? You're ushering, you're greeting, you're working in children's ministry. How many of you pictured when I said church, a message being given up front here or up there? I think for most of us, the picture may be a little different, but those are the images that come up when we say church. But let me ask you this. How many of us, when I said church, pictured yourself at home with your family? How many of us, when I said church, pictured your community group? Was that the first picture that came to mind? How many of us, when I said church, 
pictured you listening to the message online. When I said church, did you think about those conversations with believers when they call you up because they're struggling with something and need to talk? When I said church, how many of you thought about evangelism, going out and sharing the message of Christ? Were any of those the first pictures that came up? You know, we've been for a while now, um, I'd say for at least a year, we've been looking as an elders and staff, we've been looking at the trends of the church in America and what's going on with the church in America. Are we in a post-Christian society? Why are church buildings closing down? Why do we see trends of attendance creeping down, giving going down? Why is Sunday morning changing and, and, and this decline of the church in America? And I wonder, we've been working through it, trying to figure it out, trying to figure out these trends and how do you change them and what do you go and what do you do, right? And I wonder to myself, looking back at it and preparing for this message, is it really that the church in America is declining? Is it really that we're in this post-Christian society? Or is it that we have built this box that is so small and so rigid and so tight around Sunday morning that if it doesn't look like Sunday morning, feel like Sunday morning, sound like Sunday morning, hit the right volume level with the right songs and the right lights, if it doesn't happen between 8 and noon on Sunday, then it doesn't get to be considered church. Is that what we've done? We've defined it so tightly and so rigidly and so strictly that if it doesn't fit that box, it's not church. And if people don't fit in that box with us, well, then they're not part of church. And I wonder what, if it's, if it's that we're really a declining Christian society or if it's that culture's moving, people are changing, technology's going, and people don't fit in that box, but they fit in the box of Jesus. And we've got to change it. We've got to knock those walls down for church. You know, if we go back to definitions and you look at church in the Bible, do you know what church is in the Bible? And go through the New Testament, run through that bad boy. Go through there and look at what church is. Church is a group of believers living in union with each other and with Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's what church is. It's a group of believers living in union with Jesus Christ. And sure, there's guidance on what the church and those group of believers should do. We should care for each other. We should read the word of God and teach the word of God. We should evangelize. But none of that says it has to happen between 8 and noon on Sunday. None of that says it has to happen in a brick-and-mortar building or even on this lawn. None of that says it has to happen just by the authority and the leadership of the church giving the message or with certain lights and sounds, right? It's a group of believers living in union with Jesus Christ. And if we take that definition instead of that tight little box, if we take that definition, then the health of the church isn't how many buildings we still have standing. And the health of the church isn't how much we're giving or how many people are showing up on Sunday morning in person. The health of the church is measured by the actions of the believers who are living in union with Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. The actions of the believers living in union with Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. How's your foundation? Is your picture of church 
still the same? You know, sometimes when we talk about foundations, you know, I, I do these questions a lot with folks. We talk about them. Sometimes when you start to hear something different than how you believed something was, a definition, church, you start to hear a different definition, maybe your foundation starts to crumble a little bit because, well, maybe that's not what it is, and I've just been holding on to it because I like the way Sunday morning feels, and I want that to be church. And maybe it's hard to make everything in my life church. And so what we do is we start to kind of hold on to that foundation, and it's crumbling around us because you want it. And that's what you like and you're comfortable. But I wonder if Jesus is sacrificially saying, you're supposed to build your foundation on me, not your level of comfort, not what you want church to be. How's your foundation? So we start, the reason I started here, and I know we said this is a message on priesthood, but the reason we start with talking about the church is because if you understand how you define church, then you're going to be able to understand how you play a role in church with the priesthood. If you understand what that definition is, if that definition of church is a building that happens on Sunday morning and it's all handled by a leadership team that you just get to sit and enjoy, then your role in the church as the priesthood is going to be drastically different. But if the definition of church is the group of believers, all of us, right, all of us in union with Jesus Christ, then our role changes. And the health of the church is more dependent on all of us. I don't care if you're the pastor on Sunday morning getting the message or you're the farmer in the field. It depends on all of us. We all have that role. How do you define church? So... With that in mind, we're going to shift, right? We're going to start making the shift here for you folks to start talking about the priesthood and how this plays in. So the priesthood, right? If we hear priest, God set up this priesthood, these, these men that were set apart in the Old Testament, right? They were set apart in the Old Testament to intercede for God's people, to care for God's people, right? But, and that intercession was between the people of God and God himself. And they had all kinds of roles. I've got a list of things that the Old Testament priests would do. They would make intercession for God's people. They would oversee sacrifices. They would have to maintain a level of purity. The priests would maintain a level of purity between the people, their sacrifices, and God in his holy spaces. They were responsible for communicating the law, God's law, and divine consultation. They were a figure of leadership. And the two biggest things was they were responsible for the sin offering of the people to God to temporarily use that sacrifice and offering to temporarily cover the sins of God's people. And the greatest blessing that the priests had was that the priests, the greatest blessing and privilege was that the priests had access to God. The Old Testament priests had access to God. That's where they stood between God and his people. And that was a role God gave them. And so the people relied on the priests, right? And God used the priests. And then something happened. After so many years, Jesus comes. Jesus comes. And what Jesus does is Jesus lives, communicates law to us. Jesus is, dies on the cross, is buried and raised again. And in doing that, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. What Jesus did was he provided a sacrifice 
once and for all for everyone, so that we didn't need the priest to offer temporary sacrifices for temporary coverings of our sins. Jesus did that for all of us. No more temporary coverings of sins. And I want to stop here for a second because if you're out there, this one's free. This one's coming up outside of the notes. Scott's smiling. If you're out there today and you don't know what that means, if you don't know what it means to have Jesus forgive your sins by his sacrifice on the cross, and they're forgiven forever once you know him as your Savior, if you don't know what that means, and you're out there and you're trying to offer up temporary sacrifices on your own, if you're looking at your life and you're like, yeah, I've heard of this Jesus thing, but I'm not a good person, if you're looking at your life and you're like, yeah, well, I, I still don't do everything right. And maybe once I get all of those sacrifices out of the way, once I sacrifice, uh, you know, whatever it is you're doing, once I sacrifice the language, the drinking, the hanging out with people that I feel like I shouldn't be, once I sacrifice whatever it is in my life that I'm doing that I feel isn't good enough, and I can get to that good enough state, then, then maybe I can go talk to Jesus, because then maybe he'll be ready for me. Just stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. Because there's nothing that you'll ever be able to do. There's no temporary sacrifice you'll ever be able to give to forgive your sins. Because Jesus has already done it. Jesus has already done that. And all you have to do is go talk to him. And ask him. And tell him, I'm done. I can't do it myself. I've been trying. I just need you. And he's ready. And you see, that... When Jesus died on the cross, forgave our sins, sin was wiped clean. And what also happened there, this is key to understanding the priesthood, was when Jesus did that, he did away for the need for any mediators of men. We now don't need other authority figures in the church to get access to God. We don't need a priest in order to offer sacrifices to God. We don't need a priest to mediate our prayers to God. We don't need a priest to offer our worship to God. You have direct access to God today because of what Jesus Christ did. And that's what is being communicated in 2 Peter, is that Jesus took away those sacrifices so that we could all have salvation and we are all now part of the priesthood. We share in that priestly role. Think about that. That's incredible. You have access to God because of what Jesus did. You can talk to God. You can have a relationship. That friendship piece, you can be a friend with God. You are attached to him because of what Jesus did. You don't need another man. You don't need another woman. You don't need anybody else. Jesus is your mediator. He's there for you because of what he did. And think about the blessings that come with that, right? You don't have to go to a priest and ask for blessings. Jesus can bless you. It doesn't mean he doesn't use that. He set up authority structures in the church, but you have access to him. You pray to him. You worship to Jesus. He speaks through us. He's gifted us, all because we are his people, chosen, set-aside priesthood. Now, I think when it comes back to definitions, if that's where it stopped and we said, yes, we have the blessings and access to God and it's all good, the definition of priesthood would have never changed. And when I asked you all, if I were to ask you all what the priesthood is, we'd all say the same thing. 
It's about blessings and having access to God. That's where we stop. But what we're going to talk about through this series is that the priesthood comes with a whole lot more. Because while Jesus took care of sin through his sacrifice, and we don't need temporary sacrifices anymore, all those other responsibilities, they're still there. And they still fall to the priesthood, and that's us. Somebody still has to care for the people of God. Somebody still has to read and teach the word of God. Somebody still has to be accountable to the word of God. Somebody still has to maintain a level of purity to God. Somebody still has to worship God. Somebody still has to pray to God. And it's the priesthood. And that's us. That's you. And that's me. And that's all of us. We are part of the priesthood. And you'd think that is awesome. We've got that role. Let's do it. We have this amazing access to God to do all those things. But what's happened, and it's happened over the course of church history, is that those things are so important. God set up in the Old Testament priests to do those things because they were important. And now we are a priesthood that he set up to continue to do those things because of how they important they are. For us, for this universal churchhood, and for our relationship with God, they're so important that over time, Either we've just given them away and given them back to the church because they're important, they're hard and a burden, or the church has taken them back because we haven't done it. Over time, either the church has looked and said, no, 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 we, we can't fall down on taking care of each other, preaching the word of God correctly, worship, all of these things, and so we're going to take control of it. And so the people, the rest of the believers are no longer the priesthood. Or what's happened is, I think where we're at, kind of in our modern church, where we look at all of what it takes to be part of the priesthood, and we look at it and say, I love the blessings, but I'm really busy, so this whole idea of leading other people, I'm not trained on it, I'm not ready, it's not really something I'm going to do, somebody else will do it. Or I look at evangelism and I say, you know what, we've got a team at the church that'll do that, I'm not really there, and it makes me nervous, I don't want to say Jesus' name to people, so somebody else will do it. Or we look at it and we pick your, pick your topic from the priesthood, right? Care, prayer, worship, sacrifice, service. We look at it and we say, ah, those are the hard things that Jesus is calling me to. I'm sure the church will take care of it. And there's that church box getting built back in again. But here's the deal. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. Think about it. As a priest, as a part of the church who's just in communion with God, it's not the church, it's not Pastor Scott's ability to make sure your children are taught correctly about Jesus. It's not the church's responsibility to make sure you pray. It's not the, the deacons, the elders, the staff's ability to make sure that you're maintaining a level of purity. And maybe that's hard to hear because you've got so many other things going on in your life and it's like, I just can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I don't even know what you're talking about, but it sounds hard. It sounds like a burden. Well, it is. Jesus calls us to a life of sacrifice. And what we're going to do over the next couple weeks is we're going to talk about how do you know what your role is in that? How many of those things are you supposed to be doing? And then how can we, as a church, 
equip you, equip each other, build each other up and empower us to go do that. Because think about it, church. If we understand the church, not as leadership in a building, but if we understand the church across America and the world as the people and their actions, and we start taking up that role, we start doing those things that he calls us to as priests. If we start living for each other, caring for each other, reading the word to each other, if we start owning our level of purity, if we start corporately praying together because it's what we're called to, think about the health of the church, right? And that's what we should be excited about. That's what you should be excited about. But it might shake your foundation a little bit. It might cause you to rethink your priorities a little bit. It might cause you to own a little more of your life and your family and your friends and your circle. And let me tell you, it's worth it. Because sacrificing a little bit of your life or your time to take up the role of priesthood is worth it. Because in order for you to have that role, Jesus sacrificed himself. So that's what we're going to do over the next couple weeks. We're going to help you with that foundation. We're going to equip you guys. We're going to empower you. And we're going to be an incredible church. <laughs> so let me ask two questions to you guys, and then I'll pray. The first question is, how do you define church? And do you know what role you're playing? How do you define church? And do you know the role you're playing? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for everyone here, the people in the cars, the people on the lawn, the people that are going to listen to this message, the people in our circles, our families. And Lord, we thank you that we can be united with you, united together as believers, united in your message. Lord, use this time to build us up, to show us what it means to be part of that priesthood, to show us what it means to be your church. Lord, empower us. Empower us to do those things, Lord. In your name, amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great Sunday.